Hello and welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Rob Parsons, the Yorkshire Post political editor, back for another week of political chat and analysis about some of the big issues affecting our great region. This week's guest is Professor Katie Shaw, an academic from Northumbria University, whose work we'll doubtless be hearing a lot about in the next few months as she's leading an inquiry into how Northern culture can recover better and stronger than before from the pandemic. As she points out, for a lot of people, I think, when they think of the North, the first thing they think of is culture, whether it's the TV shows produced in Yorkshire or the art of Henry Moore. But the last few months of lockdown has left much of the cultural sector in a very precarious position. But before we get onto that, let's have a chat with one of my colleagues, uh, David Bevins, a columnist for the Yorkshire Post, whose words I'm sure many of you will have read in our weekend print edition and online. Uh, Welcome, David. How, How are you? Hello, Rob. I'm fine. Fine. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. It's great to great to chat to you. So a column of yours, which caught my eye this week, was about the future of the Tour de Yorkshire cycling event, which won't be taking place this year, I think, because of the pandemic, but will hopefully be back next year. And this sort of links in with the cultural side of things I'll be discussing later, as I think in recent years, cycling and Yorkshire have uh, almost become synonymous after our successful hosting of the, the Tour de France Grand Depart and other big events. But That's right. Um, I was reading that your your view, I think, is that our perception of the benefit of hosting big cycling events in Yorkshire uh, is kind of changing or could be about to change. Can you just say a bit a bit more about that? Well, the interesting thing is that uh, the Tour de Yorkshire is a product of the Tourism Authority, Welcome to Yorkshire. And of course, that has undergone huge changes in the last three years with the departure of its former chief executive, uh, Gary Verity, Sir Gary Verity. Uh, And what he did in bringing, first of all, the Tour de France and then its legacy event, the Tour de Yorkshire, to the county was to create a sort of um, public relations steamroller, which it was very difficult to argue against uh, politically because it was always talked up in terms of the massive benefit uh, it brought to the county in terms of bums on seats, people watching the coverage on TV and people lining the route of the race as it passed through the county. Uh, and the actual cost of putting it on was uh, a subject that was always pushed into the background in favour of the, uh, the the greater benefit. And that was Gary Verity's big talent, I think, uh, controlling the narrative of an event like this. In his absence, uh, there's no one to do that. And all of a sudden, the focus has changed from what benefit the event might bring to the county to how much it costs to put on. That's a big uh, change in the way we look at the event. It's become permissible all of a sudden for elected officials to question the wisdom of having it at all, especially in the wake of a uh, of the pandemic and the shutdown we've just been through. Um, is the Tour de France more important than ever as we emerge from a year and a bit of economic paralysis or a luxury, perhaps even a vanity project um, that we can no longer afford. That is now the question that's preoccupying so many of our civic leaders. And instead of being a sort of um, uh, steamroller thing that's pushed through uh, the political process irrespective, it's become just another piece of business that's clogging up the intrays of uh, councillors and no longer the sort of done deal that it was. And it's also become uh, fashionable to, I will not, I suppose, fashionable to um, to really question how much benefit the uh, the, the Tour de Yorkshire uh, has brought over the year. And I'm not 
suggesting that um, uh, that it it hasn't brought enormous benefit to the county because it's it's created an image for Yorkshire that other regions of Britain must uh, must envy, other tourist authorities must envy. Uh, but um, it isn't always the case that the headline figures produced by Welcome to Yorkshire in its previous iteration uh, can be taken at quite the face value uh, they have been. That's certainly what they're finding in Richmondshire in North Yorkshire, where they're being asked to uh, stump up uh, possibly another £100,000 on top of the £160,000 they've already agreed to pay to make Leyburn one of the eight host towns when the event uh, returns next spring. Uh, and the question they're asking up there is, is that really good value for money? Uh, the Tour de Yorkshire occupies four days of the year. They could spend the same amount of money in the uh, uh, in the district and spread the benefits over the other 361 days of the year. Um, it's all... Uh, uh, it's, it's interesting that this is coming to the debating table, perhaps for the first time since the Tour de Yorkshire was foisted on us, um, all of those, what is it now, seven, eight years ago? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm, I was thinking back to the um, the recent uh, World Road Cycling Championships, which came to Harrogate uh, two or three years ago. And uh, you might remember it, it, it pelted down with rain for the vast majority of the week that the world that's best. right when you say it came to harrogate what what you really mean is that it churned up harrogate well exactly yeah i mean at the end of the uh, at the end of the, the four or five days of competition the stray which is the obviously beautiful parkland that goes around the edge of harrogate town center was uh looked like uh the battle of the summit was uh, in a terrible state and it took months yes. to be uh, reseeded and, and and recover and i think there was something of a debate at that point about whether the amount of money that you know that local authorities were having to spend uh, and you know the cost of uh, you know recovering the, the stray and other things afterwards whether that was worth it in terms of the economic benefits that come to places like Harrogate and I guess the problem is that these economic benefits are quite uh, in, in some respects quite intangible aren't they they're quite hard to estimate uh, and uh, you know they, they they don't appear immediately it's sort of uh, you know, the, the the benefits of Yorkshire being seen around the world is a bit hard to sort of put your finger on in a, in a well, sort it, of it a is. I mean, objective it, way. It, very much so. I mean, uh, it's a given that uh, it, the, the Tour de Yorkshire is part of the world cycling calendar with, that has the Tour de France as its centrepiece, and as such, it attracts some of the best riders in the world. Uh, that's a given. Uh, and the TV coverage does serve as a shop window for Yorkshire and its scenery. That much is a given, but what we don't know is how many of those TV viewers will going to get up out of their armchairs and uh, come to Yorkshire on holiday. And also, the headline figures about um, TV audiences uh, are open to question, shall we say? I mean, the 2019 figures—that uh, was the last time the Tour de Yorkshire took place before the pandemic—reckoned uh, that the audience on TV had numbered 28 million in 190 countries. Well, 190 countries, that's every country in the world, bar five. Uh, it wasn't screened live in all of those countries, far from it. It was only screened live in about 13 networks. Uh, and uh, uh, and the, the amount of coverage it got in the other countries is, uh, is in some cases, negligible. Um, we don't really know how to quantify that. Certainly, if you advertise, I mean, Carl Les, who's the leader of North Yorkshire County Council, uh, said that uh, the other week, if you were to buy that sort of advertising, it would cost millions. But if you were to buy that sort of advertising, you would do it in a much more targeted way. 
uh, and you'd be able to measure the, um, you know, there would be uh, benchmarks to measure the effectiveness of, uh, of, of each television spot that you bought. Um, you wouldn't simply uh, hand the whole thing over to a TV network and say, do what you want with this. Um, it's it's very, as you say, it's very hard to quantify um, the real economic benefit. Image is one thing. Uh, economic benefit is, is something else. Image is ethereal. Economic benefit has to be measurable. Yeah. And um, I mean, obviously, as you say, uh, welcome to Yorkshire, the region's tourist agency has been a large part of the driving force behind this. And you do get the sense, don't you, that since uh, Gary Verity's departure under a cloud to a uh, uh, put it politely uh, <laughs> a, a few a few years ago you get a sense that welcome to yorkshire obviously they have their own financial problems and, and sort of governance issues that they're still sort of working working through like they're perhaps trying to shift away themselves from a bit from cycling because perhaps of the associations with gary verity and you see them talking more about sort of uh encouraging walking in in yorkshire and other uh, other, other means of attracting people mm. to, to the region other than just cycling Yes, yeah. Well, I mean, they, they have to they have to do that because they can't afford to be a, a one trick pony. And there are uh, suggestions if you look at the figures that the Tour de Yorkshire might actually have peaked anyway. Um, in 2018, uh, it attracted far more spectators than it did in 2019. Uh, apparently, there were about 30 percent fewer uh, in 2019 lining the route than there were in 2018. And I don't think that was down to the weather. Um, and the economic benefit was uh, was supposedly less, but then again, the economic benefit is also um, uh, open to some question because it depends how you measure it. Um, there's a councillor in uh, Richmondshire whose name is um, uh, I forget Stuart Parsons. Stuart Parsons, that's right. Yeah, no relation to uh, me. Uh, oh, there you go. I haven't, I haven't, uh, <laughs> um, he uh, he pointed out that uh, the the figures Welcome to Yorkshire produced after. Uh, 2018, uh, that all the guest houses were full in Richmond and all the um, cash machines had run dry and, and so on, conveniently ignored the fact that the race took place over a bank holiday weekend when the guest houses would have been full anyway. So you can't necessarily attribute all the economic benefit that has been uh, put at the feet of the Tour de Yorkshire to the race itself. There are other factors, you know, people like coming to Yorkshire anyway. Um, to Richmondshire and the uh, and the other parts of the North and East Riding, especially. I mean, they you know they 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 they're glorious. They uh, they stand uh, on their own merit to a large extent. Um, it may be that uh, a niche event like cycling has um, served its purpose. I'm not saying it has. I'm uh, uh, what, what I think is interesting is that people are at last asking the question and not simply taking it as um, a monumental event whose uh, importance and benefits can't be questioned yeah and well we'll i guess this debate i suspect will uh, raise its head again a few times between now and uh, this time next year which is when the uh, tour de yorkshire which was postponed from this summer is due to take place and i guess that debate will include how much local authorities are, are contributing to it so um david thank you thank you very much a pleasure and now let's hear from our guest this week Now, they may have to wait a few weeks longer to return to their former glories, but after months of virtually no activity, the nation's cultural gems are looking forward to reopening and offering live art, music and theatre. And that's as much the case in the north of England as anywhere else, with the likes of Opera North, the Crucible Theatre and the Liverpool 
playhouse playing a huge part of the fabric of local communities. And the Northern Culture All-Party Parliamentary Group, made up of MPs from both sides of the aisle, so you've got the likes of Alex Sobol from Labour and Jason McCartney from the Conservatives, want to give the culture of the North a stronger voice. Their aim is to promote and champion the huge economic contribution made by the North's cultural sector. A big project for it this year is a major inquiry into what Northern culture needs to rebuild, rebalance and recover. It will produce a uh, bespoke State of, the Na- uh, State of the North report on Northern culture, uh, providing a united voice on pan-Northern cultural asks and priorities to shape and influence future government decision-making and policy. So let's hear a bit more about this from Katie Shaw, who is a professor of contemporary writings at Northumbria University and the co-author of this inquiry. Katie, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem at all. So um, why don't you just tell us a bit firstly about the APPG and also this inquiry, like what was the thinking behind setting both of these up? Well, the APPG Northern Culture was really set up to help uh, promote and also build consensus around what we need now to help Northern Culture uh, thrive rather than just survive in the post-COVID context. So we're aiming to generate new knowledge about what the sector needs, uh, what opportunities are facing us, as well as what challenges, and how we can use culture um, and knowledge exchange around culture to really help transform the Northeast uh, and the wider UK post-COVID. So the APPG in the long run, we hope, will provide that united voice. Um, it will highlight some real priorities and also help to shape and influence government decision making around the North and specifically around culture. Because with culture, we are talking about things like how we develop skill sets in the regions, how we create more equal opportunities for all through culture, how we promote diversity, and also how we support our cultural ambitions in the North now and for our future generations. Um, And my own role in this and the inquiry is uh, obviously through Northumbria University, who are the lead academic sponsors of the new APPG. And I am co-authoring the inquiry report. Um, And the inquiry and all the details about the inquiry uh, can be found on, on the website. And we are also on Twitter at NCAPPG. Excellent. So who who is the APPG sort of talking to for, to, to inform this inquiry? What, what, what kind of groups uh, are, you, are you hearing from? So the inquiry put a general call out a few months back uh, to hear from everybody across the cultural sector. So that's everybody from audiences to cultural leaders to organisations big and small. We really wanted to hear um, a diverse group of voices from across the whole of the North. Because quite often, I think, you know, we all know this if we've been involved in any Um, in any Northern Powerhouse events or similar or any regional events, all debates can get can get monopolized by some of the big boys and we all often hear about you know the big organizations that are based in cities we really wanted to hear from across the cultural sector in our countryside in our coastal regions in city regions as well as cities um so we've put a call out to hear from everybody involved in the ecosystem of culture really um, and we've had a huge response to uh, the inquiry open call for evidence and we've also um held four open evidence sessions 
sessions. We um, have two more to come, one on the 9th of July and one in September around some of the key questions in the report. Uh, and there we've been hearing on a public platform from experts in the field um, and from you know the, the beneficiaries of culture, social, economic and political, um, to hear about their thoughts and what they uh, really want to ask of government going forwards. And what I mean, I realise you, you're you know you're still in the process of putting all this together. But what what kind of things have people been coming back with? Like, have you been sort of surprised by some of the insights you've been you've, you've been getting? I think a lot of the insights so far have been incredibly revealing. I think everybody knows um, some of the challenges that are, that is facing culture at the moment. Um, but in a way, we can almost kind of be. I don't know, cursed by familiarity when it comes to that degree, because we all think, okay, we all know the challenges of reopening. We all know the challenges around access. We all know the challenges around kind of cultural value um, and its role in the economic sector and its role in well-being. We all know how we've all drawn down on culture more in COVID and in the pandemic. Um, and therefore, we're all rethinking our relationship with it going forward and the role of the digital. But actually, through hearing from that real cross-section of audiences, producers, leaders, we're getting a real sense of consensus about what models of best practice are working in the sector, what the challenges are, but also importantly, some potential solutions to those challenges, and the way in which we can actually work together and collaborate on a post-COVID action plan to help us rebuild Northern culture, and not just rebuild it to where it was, which is really important, to re rebuild this for the future in a way that is sustainable and resilient and has a model that can be flexible around future challenges and also has some give in it. You know, I think we can't have a cultural system that is so fragile that with a particular trauma or challenge, it folds. We have to look at more resilient models of working for culture. And that involves, you know, protecting everybody from the freelancer, the audience member, all the way up to the major CEOs. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you were talking about the the traumas that the, the, the sector has 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 seen i mean how how much of an impact has the pandemic had on culture i mean i guess generally but in the north uh, specifically it's been devastating um and it you know it's really it's been incredibly hard for me. Uh, my role here as Director of Cultural Partnerships at Northumbria, we work with um, you know, some of our major cultural organisations across the city, including Baltic um, Gallery and Live Theatre and New Writing North, and and all of the time and we are archives and museum sites, you know, everything from the Great Museum of the North down to Roman forts, and to see an entire cross-section of culture paused um, was was traumatic enough. But then see it, you know, having to apply for the cultural recovery funding and then the way in which that's shaken out to see it gear up to reopen and be thwarted again and again and again. Um, and today on the day of recording, looking like theatre again, we'll have another challenge to reopening to see how much time and energy has been spent on that. Um, just makes you constantly aware of, of you know, the role of culture and, and, and how important it is to us all that we've really noticed the absence there and how much those organisations have had to pivot, whether that is through digital delivery or it is through thinking about how it changes its infrastructure and its physical, you know, its physical builds and its spaces to think about things like distancing and ventilation um, going forwards, but also how it's facing challenges to do with leadership. You know, we've had a huge um, turnover of CEOs of cultural organizations in this time um, and how this is also mapping onto things to do with 
broader issues often associated with the North, things like infrastructure and transport and capital build. So it's been an incredibly traumatic time, but it's also been a time of great productivity um, and great triumph in the face of adversity. And for anybody who wants to characterise you know, what is a northern character, then that sense of, of triumph and adversity has certainly been borne out this year. We've seen amazing cultural productions. We've seen huge sectors across the arts and culture come back, um, including sectors that have not received any formal support. And here, you know, it's worth highlighting the areas like stand-up comedy that many of us have turned to in the past 12 months. And many of us pre-pandemic would have gone along to a local comedy club or even a local arena to see to see a show or a festival. And um, all of these cultural platforms have had very little support and are now coming back and bouncing back and thinking about ways in which they can, you know, continue to entertain us, even in the midst of great uncertainty. Yeah. And... I mean, we you know the, the APPG is the, is for, for northern culture and as distinct from culture more more generally. I mean, can you say a bit more about that? Because obviously, you know, that some of the things that you've been talking about uh, and the impact of the pandemic uh, will has, has will have affected London and the southeast and all parts of the country. But what what makes northern culture distinct? And has has it? You were talking about you know links to other issues like infrastructure and, and uh, transport like ha- has the experience for northern culture been different do you think during the pandemic and, and sort of going forward is that an issue that you're sort of aware of yeah I think when we talk about northern culture first off uh, what we're talking about is specifically you know the idea that when you think of the north Uh, often the first images that come to mind are of its culture, right? You know, we think about the Angel of the North, the sculpture of Henry Moore, the music of Manchester, the art of Sheffield, the film and TV shows that are produced in Yorkshire, and all the amazing community cultural projects that grow from across our cities and our city regions. The North has always been a powerhouse for culture, And the challenge for Northern culture is how we preserve what we have and create a new culture, as well as ensuring that all culture is both by all and for all going forwards. But that necessitates us having the resource and the power to do that. And Northern culture, yes, has many uh, of the shared challenges um, of, for example, cultural organisations in the south of England, but to have the um, to have the same roadmap uh, to use government lingo uh, is not appropriate because we are not on a level playing field. Okay, the pitch is not level for northern culture. We are starting from lower down on that snakes and ladders board, um, and so we need you know it's not a case of leveling up because leveling up implies that everybody is moving up equally. This is a case that there's a potential for disproportionate investment. There's a case for um, strategic overinvestment compared to other areas. Um, Um, to do things like enhance access to culture, to think about understanding truly the way in which culture is an economic driver. You know, it's very simple to see it as a cultural, you know, it's a nicety, right? It's a nice thing. It's good for well-being, great. But actually, I think often arguments only hit home for government when we are outlining both the social, cultural and economic benefits of culture. The amount of people that are brought to city centres, for example, and high streets, 
through culture, um, the role of mental health and well-being through culture, of connectivity and community engagement through culture, and the way in which culture is really going to be vital to the way in which we see education for the future as well, because we're wanting to develop the creative skill sets in the regions. You know, if you want the next generation of filmmakers and producers to be helping screen Yorkshire, for example, you need those skills to be throughout teaching, FE, HE, in the region. You know, if we want to build up a sustainable publishing industry, for example, in the Northeast, we need to be teaching that skill set in our colleges and universities to create and grow the talent and importantly to retain the creative talent in our regions as well. Because as an educator myself in the regions, you know, I, I grew very sick of seeing the best of our talent um, fall victim to that brain drain where they left for London because there weren't jobs in the regions I want us to grow our creative talent in the regions and retain it in the regions and therefore also retain its economic impact its social impact and its cultural impact yeah and um I guess it's quite an interesting time in terms of who makes decisions about northern culture because obviously uh, in in West Yorkshire we've just had a, a metro mayor elected Tracy Braben with a strong cultural background and as you're uh, describing the cultural recovery fund has been uh, something that the government has been very keen to promote I mean what more can decision makers at both local and regional and national level be doing to help uh, northern northern culture and sort of culture thrive more more generally I think a really important role for government for metro mayors and for other decision makers is to be advocates for Northern culture, uh, to speak up and speak out about the value and the perceived value of Northern culture as a real social, economic and political asset. And they are going to be our mouthpieces, if you like, in terms of thinking about how we set out a new agenda, not just for levelling up the playing field, but actually for setting out a whole new vision about how we go about creating a different future through COVID, uh, through, through culture, sorry, post-COVID. And that vision has to be one in which we have investment in the North and in the cultural sector at the heart of any plans to supercharge the UK as a site of creative production that's fit for the 21st century world. If we think about how the UK is viewed overseas, it's viewed through its culture. Okay, we're seen as a cultural champion in the rest of the world. And devolution is going to be a really important part of how regional culture develops in the future. We can't develop the North without devolving power and resources back to the people who are writing the future of the North here and now, the people who are living it and forming it. And that means central government funding, right? That means trusting mayors. That means trusting LEPs. That means trusting devolved authorities to work with regional communities, to work with local creatives, to create and own the change in the culture that they create. And we're already seeing some of this in the cultural strategy visions set out by mayors like Andy Burnham in Manchester and Dan Jarvis in South Yorkshire. Uh, having Tracy Braben come in as, as mayor is, is truly wonderful. I gave evidence um, to an inquiry session on uh, the sustainability, for example, of the writing industry pre-COVID um, to an inquiry session that Tracy was chairing. And I know through her own background professionally, she's a huge, huge champion of the creative industries and the importance of devolving them into the regions to truly share the opportunity that comes with culture. Yeah, I know uh, people in, in the cultural sector have very high hopes for, for Tracy Braben as a, a new new Metro mayor. So uh, as you said, we're, we're at the time of recording, we're awaiting uh, the Prime Minister's 
press conference to uh, tell us more about the delaying to uh, to so-called Freedom Day on June the 21st and what that might mean for the various sectors. But, you know, once everything is back open again, what, what are you looking forward to most in terms of rediscovering, you know, the cultural gems that you might have been missing out on in, in, in the last year, year and a half? I think what I'm looking forward to most is a sense of cultural confidence um, because that's been the thing on the lips of all of the leaders of major organisations that I've been working with over the last year. That idea that you can sit back in a theatre and have that sigh of relief and, and look forward to being in performance. The sense that people are comfortable walking into art galleries again. The sense that people are looking forward to going to see that stand-up comedy gig or they've got their festival tickets and they know how it's going to work. And I think with cultural confidence comes a degree of habit and comes a degree uh, of repetition, right? The more we go, the more normalised this becomes again, and the safer it feels and is experienced, then we will all feel confident and comfortable in engaging with culture. And I think certainly for me over the last year, I've you know I've almost seen as much as much theatre, as much comedy, heard as much live music online as I would have um, in real life. And in many ways, it's opened up opportunities for me in the north because actually if I want to go and see a show at the Globe or the National Theatre it's going to cost me a a lot of money to get the train down there and navigate the train system and then get a hotel and get the tickets so I think digital production of culture has opened up audiences if we're thinking about access over the last few years but we really now need to kickstart the live experience of engaging with and supporting our local culture whether that's you know local cinemas, local um, art producers, local shows, and also thinking really about how we can support our freelancers through the education system um, and through training and maybe offer people CPD within the regions. So for me, I'm just really looking forward to indulging in culture again, locally and nationally, but also thinking particularly about how we can work together uh, to support local culture in the north in a way that's going to be sustainable and resilient for the years to come. Yeah, there's a definitely nothing like a, a live a live show. Like watching it on TV is not still not not there's no uh, no substitute for it. Um, Katie Shaw, it's been great speaking to you. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for listening to Pod's Own Country. I do hope you've enjoyed what you've heard this week and do leave us a review on whichever service you get your podcasts on if you'd like to hear more from us. And if you have any ideas for things we ought to be discussing, please drop me an email at rob.parsons at jpimedia.co.uk and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, bye-bye.